So back in April of 2013, so going back a while, I should say 2011, so going back even further than that, uh, April of 2011 is when I yielded to the call that God had placed upon my life specifically to move to Anger and to plant a church which in an by that alone was a miracle that God would get me to that point. And it was a miracle for a couple of reasons. It was a miracle because I grew up in Anger. And when I graduated high school and went off to college, I had no intention of ever coming back to Anger because I was way too cosmopolitan, way too, too all of that. And I never thought I would come back other than to visit the parentals. You know, other than that, I just, I just didn't see myself ever returning back this way. And so that's pretty miraculous that God would, would call me back and lead me back. And the other thing that's miraculous is that I had an extremely healthy and I would call a formidable fear about church planting. I had several friends who have been church planters. I know how hard it is. I know how difficult it is. I know the challenges. I know all that goes into it. And I had this extremely vibrant and healthy hesitation to do something on the scale of planting or starting a brand, a brand new church. And, and for all the reasons that I had for, being, for hesitating so much, one of the reasons why it was so difficult or, or such a challenge for me and it was such a healthy fear because I understand when it comes to church planting, one of the hardest things is finding a place where the church would meet. Finding a location, finding a building somewhere, because the reality is that uh, what happens, a lot of churches struggle and it becomes a bottleneck because their building is too small or their building is too expensive. So it sucks up their, their budget. Or it's in a bad location. And so one of the greatest difficulties, one of the greatest challenges is having a good place to meet, somewhere that's reasonable, somewhere that it, it's not going to bottleneck you. and It's actually going to allow you to flourish as a church. And I know what the Bible says, and I understand my theology. I know that the church is not a building. And I completely understand that God is bigger than the location or geography of a building. I get that. That being said... All the church planting research shows that having the right building at the right cost in the right location actually does matter. And so knowing all of that and then knowing that in Anger, the amount of locations where a church can meet is actually fairly limited, it actually caused a bit of a hesitation. And the miraculous thing is that God worked in such a way that he replaced my fear. So he didn't just take away my fear. He replaced it with a genuine excitement for church planting, which that, to me, is miraculous. And, and just to tell you how miraculous it is, it took God all of a flash of a millisecond to create the entire cosmos. It took him six years to get me to yield. Like, I, I hesitated that much. It started many years before, and he wore me down gently, graciously, like a good father, 
walk me through it until finally now I've, I see myself as a missionary and I, I see Andrew as a mission field and I'm excited about all this, this opportunity that we, we have as a church to fill Andrew in the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus, to fill this town with the renowned of God's praise, with the renown of his glory. So the story started, you know, even before that. I started here today going back to 2011, but let me just fast forward a little bit to January 2013. So two years ago this month, me and Jamie, my wife, we decide, well, it's time to go shopping a house. So we're driving around Andrew. We're trying to find a place that we can move to and call home. And as we're doing that, I'm looking around for buildings, scouting out the area. So where could, that, could we meet there? I wonder if we could start a church there. Could we, is that a possibility? And I noticed this building one day. It, it looked vacant. Like it's, we drove by. I was like, I don't think anything's happening there. I'm not sure. And one day there was like a banner outside with a phone number. And so I'm like, oh, it must be for lease. Let me call it up. So I dial up the number, and it went to the voicemail of a Mr. Bob Barker. No, not the price is right. A different individual, but Mr. Bob Barker. And I hung up instantly. I hung up. I just did the sign as if old school, hanging up, right? Did you just see what I just did? Those of you who remember the old school phones, I hung up. Today, you do that. All right. So I hung up the phone. And I called Pastor Clay Burgess, the lead pastor at Explore Church, our sending church, because he's had a relationship with Mr. Barker for years. So I'm like, you make the phone call and find out about the building. So he makes the phone call, and we end up coming here one day, several of us, and Mr. Barker's showing us the place. And I'm like, this could work. This is pretty cool. Nice location. Man, this, this, this would be nice. And I kind of sheepishly got Mr. Barker alone and I'm like, Mr. Barker, what do you think? And, uh, and he was he's a very gracious man. And he said, Rick, I'll be honest with you. I'm just interested in selling the building. I'm like, man, well, I can't afford to buy a building. And, uh, and then he added, uh, the previous tenant was paying almost 8000 a month. I'm like, there is no way. There is no way anywhere near that. So I'm like, oh, well, well I guess we've got to find something else. And he said, well, I've got another property in town. Uh, that might work out. You want to go look at it? I'm like, sure, we got nothing to lose. And so we go about a mile and a half down the road to a warehouse off of James Norris Road. And, folks, this is like the mother of all warehouses. This is the warehouse where they make warehouses kind of a thing. It's like an incredibly large structure, no air conditioning, no heating or anything. And we're walking around, and it's like, really? Like, there's no way we could do church here. And we started, like, brainstorming. Like, well, maybe we could do the first ever drive-in church. Like, everyone just drives their car in, and they enjoy their AC or their heat in the car. They tune the dial to the Anthem Church radio station, listen to it, until someone figured out, like, well, we'd all die of carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> so that, that ended that conversation real quick. And uh, Mr. Barker, on his own, said, nah, this won't work. Like, that, the other building, meaning this one, that building is way, way, way better for what you need. So uh, he said, Give me a couple of days. Let me go home. Let me go talk to my wife, and I'll call you in a couple of days, and we'll see if there's anything that we can do. And two days later, he called. And it happened to be the day before me and Jamie were closing on our houses. So, you know, the process started in January. Now it's April. 
and it's the day before. We're moving. No idea how things are going to happen, what's going to happen, where we're going to meet. No clue, but we're moving anyway. And Mr. Barker calls, and I remember we were in, in, in the car, all three kids screaming their heads off in the back seat. I'm mean, crying, yelling, screaming. And Mr. Barker's like, uh, is this a good time? Yes, sir, because that's what you say. And it's like, yes, sir, this is a really good time. And he said, okay, Rick, I want to let you know, um, me and my wife have spoken. Um, you can have the building. You can go ahead and move in. You can do whatever work you need to do to the building, and it's 1000 a month. Just let that sink in. Folks, this is 20,000 square feet on a major highway within the city limits. And God provided it for $1,000 a month. You go inside the Beltline, you're not paying an apartment monthly rent for less than that. So let me ask you, how good is God? How good, how good is God? How good is that, that he would do that? And, and I, I get off the phone, and I tell Jamie, it's like, Jamie, you're not going to believe this, and I tell her, and her first reaction to it was like, God is blessing our faith. That's how she responded. Because we were taking this step, not knowing what was going to happen, how it was going to happen, not, I mean, really clueless as to the whole thing, but we took that step because we felt like that was what God was leading us to do. And here God, and he, God didn't have to do it at that moment, but he did it anyway, very graciously and kindly. He went ahead and let us know, here is your building. Here is where this church is going to be established. You're going to get going. So, folks, if you want to see the goodness of God in your life, step out on faith. Trust the Lord, even when it's scary and even when it's inconvenient and when it doesn't make sense. And that's the point. And that's the point. So step out in faith, humble obedience. If God is leading you to do something, do it. And we, when God has given us a list of stuff to do anyway, hey, just do it. Just trust him. And God honors our faith with his goodness. It's what he does. So we're, we're excited about the building. We're amazed that God has provided this facility for us. And uh, we make a discovery that the building is zoned Commerce Park. And what that means is that in town, in this town, a church could not meet in this building. It was not allowed as per town ordinance. So in ignorance is bliss, I remember thinking, oh, well, we'll just rezone it. Just like that, because, I mean, that's what you do. You just rezone properties, right? Like, be- I love ignorance. Ignorance is absolute bliss. And so I'm glad I didn't know you better at the time. So I marched down to town hall. Happened to know who the town manager is. I know who the mayor is. Sit down in prompto meeting with the two, the two cats, right? Sit down. Hey, here's the property we're looking at. We're going to change this into a church. We need to rezone it from this to this. And it probably is the greatest understatement ever uttered by human lips. And I've, I've joked about this to the both of them, so I'm not talking junk uh, because I've talked junk to them. Um, they said, well, it's not impossible, but it will be difficult. It'll be difficult. Difficult is special forces training. 
difficult is trying to understand the female mind. Like you reserve, it'll be difficult for like those kinds of things. Like you reserve that for that. What they should have said is say, okay, rezoning's not impossible, but it'll be like the equivalent of an IRS audit while a clown does a root canal with no anesthesia. Like that's pretty much what they would have said, and that would have been fairly accurate to what the whole rezoning process would have been like. But anyway, so we go through it, and step one, me and Brent, we, uh, we had a pre-development meeting. So we had to meet with fire marshal and town inspector and building inspector, public works, zoning personnel. That was easy. That actually was easy. That wasn't bad. That was, that was informative and good and helpful. Step two, not so easy. We had to go before the town planning board. And, uh, I'm, and I'm genuinely not speaking ill of the town planning board or anyone who serves on it. Um, however, the reputation of the town planning board is that they uh, don't vote in favor of churches when it comes to rezoning properties. It's just... Uh, and I, I don't think that they're anti-church or anti-Christian or anything like that. It's just that certain precedents and decisions were made in the past regarding the town and, and land and land use and all of that that made it very difficult, if not impossible, for them to vote in such a way to release properties and land and buildings and facilities to be used specifically for church use. And, and the reality is that for years, churches, many churches, have tried to plant in town or do something different or change, in, or, or change a property to rezone it, and it just was, didn't go through. All right, so knowing that, we had to present in front of the planning board, and you know, we put our heads together. We come up with what I think is a pretty good presentation. We prayed a lot. We fasted. We show up, what was it, uh, June 11th, 2013, and, and we present... And I used to be in sales, so I'm like, okay, I, I know what I'm doing. I can present in front of people. So I put my best foot forward, and I, I get done. And they ask a couple of questions. And you know when you can hear the tone in a question? You, you, you can read between the lines, and it became very, very obvious that this may not go our way. In fact, I was very certain from body language and everything, they were not going to go in favor. And uh, they asked a couple questions, and then they began to deliberate, because that's what they have to do. They have to discuss it. It's a public forum, so they discuss it. And at that point, then they would render a decision, but their decision isn't binding. They're basically making a recommendation to the town board whether or not to rezone a property. So they start to deliberate, and it's not going our way. And as sure as I'm standing in front of you right now, I am certain that we saw a miracle that night those of you who were in the room one gentleman on that board he starts speaking up he says I came to this meeting already having made up my mind how I was going to vote we have set a precedent for how we decide when it comes to these matters and he stopped and he put his head down. And he looked up and he looked right at me with almost tears in his eyes. He goes, but I'm convinced. And just like that, he, he made a motion. I, I make a motion to vote. And folks, it went four to two in favor 
That was unprecedented. And, and I say that we saw a miracle. And again, like those of you who were in the room, you remember, right? Like it, you could almost see the hand of God like reach into that man and change his heart. And when he said that, I wonder if that's what God used in the hearts of the other gentlemen that voted in favor as well. So we saw the goodness of God operating on our behalf that evening to help make this building a possibility. So that was step two. Step three, we had to then go before the town board. So now it's July 2nd, 2013. We go before, you know, so it's the five commissioners and the mayor, the four commissioners and the mayor. And same thing, we, we boosted up our presentation. We got ready for that, more praying, more fasting. I present, I, I'm, I'm feeling okay until they start asking questions. And it became very clear, very, it was very obvious, very quickly, that there was some strong opposition to rezoning the property. And I was absolutely certain they were going to vote us down. Like, you just, you just know. It's the vibe, it's the feeling, it's what they're saying, what they're not saying, and all of that. And at one point, the mayor asked Ressel, and he says, um, well, gentlemen, you need to deliberate because that's what they have to do. They have to discuss it in public in front of everyone, then actually vote on it, yay or nay. So the mayor tells these politicians, discuss. Silence. For what seemed like 10 minutes, but it may have only been a minute and a half or so, no one said a word. So then the mayor steps back in and says, gentlemen, you understand that you have to discuss this and vote on it. Discuss. Another minute or two, total silence. They're only looking at the table right in front of them. They're looking down. A third time, the mayor says, gentlemen, you must discuss this. Nothing. And it's awkward, right? Because these are politicians. When have you heard a politician not be able to speak? And some of these guys I know. And I've known them for a long time. And they don't, they're not shy <laughs> individuals and, and, and never at a loss for words. I'm certain of this. Well, let me, let me keep telling the story. Um, then the mayor said something that caused everything inside of me to absolutely cringe. Well, men, you can vote to table the discussion for another month. And everything inside of me screamed, no, I don't want to wait a month. Go ahead and tell me now. No, if you're going to tell me no, just let it kind of at you. I kept it cool on the surface there. And uh, that's what I do. And I, I, cr like I cringed at this, and you would think that they would have all jumped at the opportunity to delay the vote, to, to basically to punt to punt the decision a little bit, silence. They still couldn't talk. And then finally, one of them really kind of, I make a motion to table the discussion, and slowly another one, I second, and that's what they voted to do. And I have no doubt that God literally quieted their mouths that evening, because had they voted, they would have voted no. So we wait a month. And we come back in August, uh, August, what is it? August 6th, we go back. And even, I'll be honest with you, I, I, this is a terrible thing to say. I, 
I had some confidence, but not much going into it. Uh, we started the meeting. I would say I was at probably a 99.99% certain that it wasn't going to happen, so my confidence was at about 0.001. Not that I doubt God, but it's just from everything that I was hearing from, spe from speaking to these individuals, I just didn't see that they were going to go our way on it. And so we present, re-hone up that, that um, presentation, and they ask a few questions, not going our way. They make a few statements, not going our way. And then one of the commissioners asked this question. He said, why does Andrew need a laid-back church? And by laid-back meaning contemporary, casual, I can wear jeans to church if I want to kind of a church is what he meant. That got the party started. We had probably a good 40 people in support there, and all of a sudden, everyone's getting up. And, I mean, they're explaining why this is a good thing, why Andrew needs this. There were people there to present on other business that jumped in on our side because of that one question. It, got, it, got, it started getting a little bit rowdy up in there. Not too bad. Christian rowdy. Good rowdy, right? So, <laughs> Jesus honoring rowdy. Nothing, nothing, nothing bad. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy from the back of the room, Hector, my dad, quiet, reserved gentleman. And he gets up there, I'm like, oh boy, like, I don't know what he's going to say. And he began to share and tell the story why this church is a good thing and why it, the, the anger needs it. And he got done, and he walked back, and I happened to make eye contact with one of the commissioners. And, it's, and I, something about what I saw, I literally laid back in my seat. I crossed my arms, and I smiled. I knew in that moment God had given it to us. And right after that, when the commissioner says, I make a motion that we vote. And another one seconded it, and it went unanimous in favor of the rezoning. And I know from talking to various commissioners that it was what Hector said that swung it in our favor. Now, here's the point of that. Who would have ever thought that an immigrant from Costa Rica, led by God 30-plus years ago, to move his family to Andrew, North Carolina, would be used by God to influence a town board in a southern country rural town to rezone a property to be used for the glory of God? That is the goodness of God. That is the sovereign, miraculous work of God doing things far more immeasurable than we could ever dare dream or imagine. Isn't that good? So we get the building. We're all excited. And then it got easy. And that's a lie. <laughs> That's a lie. Then we got to get to work. So starting in that August, man, the elbow grease that went into this building, scraping, mold remediation. We took out 12,000 pounds of trash out of this building. Demo work, painting, the amount of labor that went into getting this building to where what you see today. 
And we had initially projected, oh, this will cost about $22,000 to get it to where we need it. It was closer to $45,000. We hadn't even had a church service yet. Like, where do you get the money if you're not even a church yet? $45,000. And all of a sudden, God provides chairs and pews and podiums and sound equipment and speakers and monitors and projectors and screens and audio board. And everything that we needed was coming out of the woodwork. God just granted it to us, just provided it overwhelmingly so. And then we complete our first year. And we didn't just survive, we thrived and we're growing. And it's not just numbers growth, we're making disciples. They're people that are growing in their faith in Jesus Folks, this church is a miracle. Everything that we enjoy as Anthem Church and who we are and what we're about, this is a miracle. It is God's good and loving hand bringing it to fruition. All right, so why do I share that story? And I do so for three reasons this morning. One, some of you are are newer to Anthem and you may have never heard the story, and I wish I could go into detail and tell the whole thing, but we don't have time. But, man, I, I just love talking about how good God is and how good he's been to this church and how his favor is resting upon us and that it's indicative of what's to come. So I like, I like talking about it. I also think it's good for a second reason, why, another reason why I share it is because those of us who went through it and been around for a couple years and been part of the, the crew, that launch, it's a good reminder because we get busy and it gets hectic and we get tired and ministry's hard and a good reminder is very encouraging to us. And there's a third reason why I shared the story and it's simply this, to give us a craving for more. To give us a craving for more. This morning, I want us all to be filled with the desire that God would be more good, that God would be even gooder to us. I mean, we, we all love er, right? We're people of er. Like, we don't settle for good when we can have good er. And, like, we don't settle for good when we have great er. Like, we love er. Love er. And so why, why settle for good when God this morning is offering to each and every one of us good er, great her. And I want you to understand that all this past goodness that we've experienced, this good hand of God that we've experienced, it is but an appetizer for the future greatness that God is going to bring our way. It's but an appetizer for this great, great stuff that is happening, that is, that is about to come our way. We, we've seen God be good to us. We've seen God do good things through us and at Anthem Church, but God is not simply in the business of good. I'm pretty certain that God is in the business of great. And he wants us to see greater things yet. And he wants us to do greater things yet. In uh, John chapter 1, Jesus says to a guy named Philip, come on, come follow me. And Philip does. Philip becomes a disciple of Jesus. And, and then Philip does what a disciple of Jesus does, and that's go to someone else 
and tell them that they found Jesus and they want to tell them about Jesus. And so Nathaniel goes out, and I'm sorry, Philip goes out and he runs into this guy named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel happens to be sitting under this fig tree and, and he goes up to Nathaniel and he says, We have found the Messiah. And Nathaniel was a bit of a skeptic. He's like, Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm paraphrasing. He said, No, you haven't. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. You're saying this Jesus God, this Messiah from Nazareth, nothing good comes out of there. And so Philip says, well, then come and see for yourself. Come and check it out. So they go from wherever they are, and they travel whatever distance to where Jesus is so that Nathaniel can see for himself. And as Nathaniel's walking up, Jesus looks at him. And before Nathaniel says anything, Jesus looks at him and says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words, what Jesus said to Nathaniel in that moment was, I know you, I know your heart, I know your thoughts, I know what you're thinking. I know that you happen to be a very honest person. You don't lie, you don't gossip, there's no malice in you. I know you. And Nathaniel responds, you don't know me. Again, paraphrasing. He's, the Greek says, how do you know me? But I hear it as, you don't know me. And then Jesus says, before Philip called you, before he ran into you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And and what happened in that moment is that Nathaniel actually witnessed the omniscience of Jesus. Like, Jesus is God. He's all-knowing. So supernaturally, Jesus not only knew the character of Nathaniel, he knew where he had been when Philip happened to run into him. Well, that was enough. That was enough for Nathaniel. So he says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. He believed. He became a follower of Jesus on account of that miracle that he got to see. And now listen to how Jesus answers him in John chapter 1, verse 50. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. In other words, Nathaniel, you think that was good? You have seen nothing yet. You haven't seen anything yet. And he saw a miracle. He witnessed the omniscient power, knowledge of Jesus, all wisdom, all knowing. He he witnessed that. That was in his face in that moment. That's good, right? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. It was so good that Nathaniel became a follower of Jesus. And and as good as that is, what Jesus says to him, he says, you're going to see greater things than these. You're going to see greater things than these. If you were to read the Gospels, so the first four books of the New Testament, the story that tells us of the life of Jesus, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you were to read the stories, do you know what you would read about? You'd read about all the great things that Nathaniel got to see. And the other disciples, Jesus walked on water. Jesus calms a storm. Jesus makes the blind to see. He makes paralytics to walk. He takes five loaves of bread, two fish, and he feeds thousands. He goes up to a dude named Lazarus who's dead, lying in a tomb, says, come on out, and Lazarus comes on out. This is what Nathaniel got to see. Nathaniel got to see Jesus himself go to a cross and pay for our sin. 
And on the third day after that, he saw the resurrected Jesus who walked out of the grave having conquered sin and death. And not long after that, Nathaniel and the other disciples, they got to see Jesus ascend up through the clouds into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Isn't that good? Would you say that those are greater things to see? Yeah, I think so. He got to witness the work of Jesus on earth, right? He got to see the great works of Christ, of the Savior, the Deliverer, doing what only Jesus can do in this world. He got to see Jesus shining the light of God's glory on this planet. So let me ask you, would you want to see those things? Would you like to be like Nathaniel and get to see the things that that he got to see? How cool would that be? Just know this. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a true believer, the same invitation that Jesus made to Nathaniel, he is making to each and every one of us. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then you and I, all of us, we today can hear Jesus saying, you will see greater things than these. Is that inspiring? Is that encouraging? Is that good? It's gooder. And it gets better. It gets even gooder than that. Because Jesus doesn't only invite us to see greater things, folks. He invites us to do greater things. Listen, listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 12, the night before he was crucified. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And that is a remarkable statement. That's an, I would call it an electrifying statement that Jesus will look at his disciples and say that all who believe in me will not only do what I do, but do even greater things that I have done. Like, is that not amazing? That Jesus would utter such a statement to these guys who had been with him for three years and seen him feed thousands and heal the sick. And raise the dead. And so in, in what way could he possibly be saying that you're going to do greater works? They have walked with Christ for three years. Every moment with Jesus was a drop a jaw moment. One jaw-dropping miracle after another. So in what way could we, his disciples, his followers, ever do greater works than Jesus. Well, it clearly can't be that our works are more dramatic than what Jesus did unless you're walking on water. I don't, I don't see people doing that, right? So it's not like what we do is more dramatic than what Jesus can do. And it's not that what we do is greater really than what Jesus did because the greatest work ever accomplished was the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, Well, there's nothing that we can do that can compare to the Son of God himself going to a cross and laying himself down and giving his life that we may have eternal life. Like, we can't do anything that remotely compares to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So, in what way do we do greater works? And it's simply this. 
we continue what he started. We expand what he started. We build upon so it becomes greater. We build upon what he started. What is the great work? The great work is the great commission. The great work is the great commission. Jesus is the, the, the centerpiece or the cornerstone of the building, the temple of God, God's people, the church. He's the cornerpiece, the, the cornerstone. And then we, as his co-laborers, we, we are used by God to add more living stones to the building, to the temple, to the body of God. So followers of Jesus, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit of God, striving in unity, sacrificing, giving, giving of our time and everything else, we do a greater work. We do the great work. That's our mission. That's the Great Commission. And, and we always like to anthem things up, so we just describe Matthew 28 differently. So our, our mission is to fill Andrew in the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. That's the mission, folks. That's the greater work. That's the greater work. So the question for all of us is, if you, do you desire? Let me just ask that first. Do you desire to see greater things? Do you desire to see the greatness of God at play in and through your life? Do you want to see the Savior at work in this world? Do you want to see people healed? Do you want to see marriages restored? Do you want to see addictions broken? Do you want to see the poor fed? Do you want to see the work of the Savior at play? Well, if we do, here's what it takes on our side. We have to be willing to do the greater work. We have to be willing to step out on faith, to trust God and to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the mission that he's placed us on and if we will do and apply ourselves to the greater work he will show us greater things he will show us greater greater things so here's my my, my desire for Anthem Church the the vision for Anthem Church in 2015 and and I would even say uh, beyond that it is for for God to show us greater things in 2015 and for God to use us for greater works in 2015 and for that to happen I think we need to challenge our myopic view of church like sometimes I think that we have a bit of a narrow view of what we see church to be I want to deconstruct a little bit of of our notions of what church is because for a lot of us church often is simply well there's a building and we go there on Sunday mornings and we sing, some dude preaches, talks for a while, and then children have Sunday school, and we have some adults, uh, small groups. We do some service projects. We even do a mission trip. That's church. And, in the rea- and those are great things. Those are wonderful things. Those are good things. Those are necessary things, important things, significant things. I'm for those things. I'm pro those things. I like them. They're good. They're good things. But is that all church is? And it can't be. Like, that can't be all that church is. That's way too narrow a view of who we are as a church and what we're supposed to be doing. There's no way we'll fill Andrew and the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus if that's all church is to us. So we got to think gooder, 
We got to think bigger. We got to think greater than that. So I want to share in just the next few minutes or so some big, big vision for, for all of us as far as the direction of our church. And I want us to absolutely uh, be impressed, I think, by the direction that God is laying upon us. You ready? All right. We want to start a housing ministry in town. And by that, I mean actually going around, buying small homes that are in major need of repair. Repair, buy the homes, repair them. Help beautify the town as a result, because there's some houses that just, you know, bring the, the appeal of the town down. And then rent it out for dirt, dirt cheap to individuals and families who need help. Give them a hand up, minister to them for a while, disciple them, send them on their way. How about this one? And I, I would consider that to be greater work, right? How about this one? And I've, I've had a heart for this for 10 years or so. I want to be a part of a church that has a nursing home in town where we take care of those in their later years and we wash their feet and we minister to them because I'm pretty sure Jesus said take care of those in need and widows etc older individuals to be a church that actually does that uh, here's one that that's been on our heart for at least a year a year and a half we want a genuine children's ministry and I'm talking about something beyond Sunday school class on Sunday mornings I'm talking about affordable daycare preschool with after-school mentoring and tutoring big brother big sister program that the demographics in town here are starking or striking that Andrew has an inordinate number of children compared to other towns in, in the rest of the country by, by compared to the Andrew population or relative to the population, Andrew just has an incredible number of children. Well, if we could find a way to minister to kids, we reach the next generation around here. We teach them. We reach them with the love of Jesus. That's greater work. And, and the point of those three things, and I'll be honest with you, like, I don't, I'm not saying we do them in 2015. I don't even know that that's possible. But these are three things that have been laid on our hearts that we want to think bigger. We want to think greater. And the reason why, it used to be that the church was this building in town and everyone gathered in town at that building. It was the marketplace, right? It was a social thing. Well, that's not what the church is anymore. We have to create a marketplace. We have to create a way to reach people and to interact with people. We have to find a way, create a way to actually feel the needs of individuals and help them out. So just imagine what that would look like if we get out there and we buy this house and we fix it up and there's this family that is struggling. We put them up there and 12 months later they can move on and they've met Jesus. Or there's this child that we minister to through this daycare whose parents don't love them, whose parents don't pour into their life, but we do. And they become a missionary when they grow up. Or there's that person who's 80, 90, and they're in their last days, and, and they're sick, and they've never had anyone really share the love of Christ with them, and we do, and they accept Jesus before they slip into eternity. See, folks, that's what the church is supposed to be. 
when, when, when I read these stories of these missionaries that go to Africa and, and Asia and, and South America, you know what? They never go there to, well, let me get my brick and mortar store up, my church building up and going, and people will just come, and that's church. Like, that's not what it is. They go there, and they start an orphanage. They go there, and they start a business to impact the economy. They go there and do things. They, they, they dig wells for water. But here in the U.S., we flipped it. We turned this into a business. So here, church planting is, we just need a building, some brick and mortar, and let's start services, and let's make sure we have some upbeat music. And people will come. And folks, that's not church planting. It's not gospel planting. What, what, what I want us to see is a greater vision for something else where our tentacles as a church are so interweaved into the life of this community that if something ever happened to Anthem Church and we cease to exist, the, in, this entire town would grieve because of the blessing that we are. To give back to such a degree that we earn our tax-exempt status. You know, churches have tax-exempt. I was in Toronto several years ago, and the mayor there was threatening removing the tax-exempt status from the churches because the mayor said, you're not doing what you said you would do, so you're not benefiting the community. You're actually siphoning from the community, so pay your taxes. So let's earn the tax-exempt. Let's give back more than we take. We're talking about impacting not just individuals and families. We're talking about transforming the town with the gospel of Jesus. Folks, that is greater. We cannot, it cannot be to where this is church. Yay. Like it's uninspiring. It's fun. It's nice. It's comfortable. But it's uninspiring. And it doesn't, doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. So, how do, how do we even begin to approach this? And again, I don't know when we'll do this. I think the housing ministry is a little bit more easier to get to. Like the goal is we would hire someone and that's their job. They would manage properties and, speak and, reach and talk, minister to tenants. Anyway, I don't know when we'll do that. Maybe this year, I don't know, maybe next year. Um, but the point of this all is to start thinking bigger. And how do we do this? I think there's five things we got to keep before us. Unity. Folks, it is so easy in a church to become dis, disjointed. For little petty stuff to get in the way, for, for little awkward things to cause, to cause tension. Let's, let's not major on the minors. You know, major on the major. Like, keep our eye on the ball. What is it that matters? So unity, all in one accord, one purpose, one spirit, pulling in the same direction. The second thing we're going to have to make sure that we're doing is sacrificing. And by that I mean serving and giving. Serving and giving of our time. Serving and giving of our, our financial resources. And actually supporting the gospel and the mission of God in this world. When you're going to need to have a sense of urgency, number three, because it's a reality. Because Jesus could, back, could come back at any time, right? Well, so there needs to be a sense of urgency. We need to operate as if Jesus is going to come back at any moment. Because the fact is, he could come back at any moment. And we need to operate with a sense of urgency because uh, what if people's eternal destinies are hanging in the balance? 
Well, they are. So there's no time to wait. There's, the, there's no reason to delay. Like, so we need to operate quickly, as fast as we can. We need to be praying regularly, individually and corporately. Recognizing that everything that we do depends on what God does. That everything that we need to do what God has called us to do, he has to provide it. So we need to pray, God, grow us, because it's going to take more than the people in this room to do the kind of things that he's laying before us. If we're going to transform this town, we need more than the people in this room. So we need to, our church needs to grow. Our resources need to grow. So we need to pray for God to raise up workers, co-laborers, people that are willing to, to give, sweat, tears and blood and everything to to make it happen and the last thing is we got to stay jesus focused i heard the best thing a pastor could ever hear a couple of weeks ago about from anyone about the church and that person said i've never been to a church that made jesus the main thing like this church does holy cow I don't care about anything else. If that's all we do, we have done everything. Just like the song said, right? Everything. So, so long as we keep Jesus the centerpiece, primary, what matters most, we stay laser focused on him, he will show us greater things. And he will do greater things through us. And, and just to wrap up, you know, we, what, why do we need to stay centered on Jesus? Why do we want to think greater things? Jesus is the Son of God, all-powerful creator, rules over everything in majesty, patient, kind, merciful. He's good. He came down from heaven, took on flesh, dwelt among us, though he was tempted in every way he never sinned and then in obedience to the father to for the glory of god he willingly went and was sacrificed on a cross in, in a display of love toward us he laid down his life on our behalf taking your shame your guilt your burdens taking it away from you off of you and placing it on himself so he paid the judgment he paid the price the consequences that's love and he rescues us out of this darkness out of this this plight this death that's wrapped around us he liberates us from the entanglements of sin releases us from its control and then not only that we are by grace through faith in jesus then guaranteed a seat at his table in heaven forever and ever and ever where we are immersed in the glories of his riches of kindness forever and ever that's not good folks that's great and it is our privilege to sacrifice toward and to serve such a great king such a great savior i've i've wanted for years to be part of a church that didn't do church business as usual where we think outside the box, where we get, we roll up our sleeves and we mix it up with the community, where we do things on a whole different level. And I know that won't be easy. I know it'll be challenging. I know it'll be hard. It, it's going to stretch us more than we've already been stretched. 
But what if that extra $100 a month saves one more soul? What if that one extra hour of service that week made one more disciple of Jesus? What if teaching Sunday school to a third grader, God used you in such a way in their life that they became the next Billy Graham? What if that person this week that you just happened to invite to church and they come is the person that God says, I want you to start a nursing ministry in town. You never, ever, ever know the great things that God will show you until you're willing to do the great things. He's greatness you will see until you start to push, push it real good. And in 2015, I mean, that's the vision for 2015. That all this year, we're like at the end of that commercial. I'm pushing it. I'm pushing it real good. It's time, like, this, this, is, this is the year, folks. Like, I would say that 2013 was the preseason. 2014 was the regular season, folks. This year is the playoffs. This year is the playoffs. And I want us to have a sense of urgency and ownership. There is, I, I can see it. I can smell it. I can taste it. It's, it's amazing. I'm excited. And I just want all of you to be excited that we get to do something amazing that has never been done. That God is leading us to do great things, to see great things. And he will do great things through us if we'll only commit and sacrifice and give and serve and be all in. Do it with joy in our hearts, with a spirit of unity, with a sense of urgency, praying always, keeping Jesus at the center of everything. Our vision, we will see greater things. We will do greater things. Lord, Father, thank you so much for this morning. I praise you for the time that you have given to us today, Lord, to just gather in this room that you've provided, in this building that you so graciously have given to us, Lord, to, to conduct worship, Lord, to, to lift up your name, Lord, to be equipped, to be trained, to hear your word, Lord. And I, I pray that you would do all those things in us, Lord, that you would inspire us, that you would open up our eyes and our minds, our hearts, Lord, to greater things, Lord. I pray for everyone in this room that we would see great things from you in our individual lives, in our families, Lord, and in our church. Lord, everything down here belongs to you. This world, the very air that we breathe. And so, Lord, I ask for you as the great king, Lord, to just do amaze us, do great things. Lord, we want to see people come to salvation, to give their, their lives to Christ, to live for your glory. Lord, we're not, we're not in this to make much of the name Anthem Church, Lord. We just want to lift up your name. And we ask simply that you would give us the privilege of being used by you to change this town that desperately needs your light shining in it. We ask, Lord, that you would do great things in this city and that you would use us in profound ways, Lord, to further your gospel and to make the anthem of your renown known to all. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.